Man, I love me some Billy Joel. In fact, I love that opening line. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? That is what I say to my wife every time we go out, and she's about to fix something about it. In fact, when uh, my wife and I first met in college, she told me the story that she was, uh, she noticed me, yeah, from across the uh, cafeteria. And as she noticed me, she turned to her girlfriend and she said, hey, see that guy? Like, yeah, that's a guy I would never date, is what she said. (laughs) And uh, she would say later, it's because I was wearing a Donald Duck hat and three ties at the time, which is true. That is true. That's the kind of fashion sense I had. I went to a kind of a fundamentalist Bible college that required you to wear a tie on Sundays. I'm a bit of a rebel. So I decided since I had to wear a tie, I put three ties on. It was amazing. It's amazing I'm married today is what it is. So we ended up, uh, over the years, my fashion sense has got a little bit better, but thank goodness it was a low bar to get over to begin with, with my Donald Duck hat and my three ties. And we're in a series called Tailor Made about the idea of how we come across, how we look. And we've been likening that to how we try and do church here at Horizon. When you come into a, a store, you, know, you check out the merchandise. You want to explore what offerings they have. You may not want someone to come talk to you. You don't want to talk to a salesperson. You don't want any pressure. You just want to kind of check it out and explore. And so at our church, we try and honor that. Give you time to explore what we believe, what we think, what we're trying to do in a way that just has no pressure. Then there might come a time, may not, where you're like, you know what? I'm ready to connect with someone. And you're ready to maybe step up and and let somebody into your personal space. Hey, can I talk to somebody about maybe... What do I need? Or what do you think would fit here? Or how could, how could I take some of those, at least benefits that I see in your life and find some of those benefits in my life? I want some of that joy or some of that peace or some of that hope. And, you know, whenever you kind of open up like that, we take that as a sacred privilege. I mean, even when you get measured, right, somebody's in your, in your personal space. You're like, ugh, right? We know that opening up and asking for help and connecting with people, it, it's a big deal. And we take that as, a, as a, a really sacred trust. So we help people explore. We help people connect. And then we ultimately help people try on some things. Hey, I want to try that. I think I might believe that. I think I, I might want to know if it's possible to believe that. I want to step into the dressing room, so to speak, and try on some of those things. So as a church, what we're really about is helping you take one step at a time. What is that next step for you? And you might say, I don't think I believe Jesus, God, in the Bible. But I want a place to explore. Other people might say, I'm not sure where I'm at, but I'd like to connect with some people. What would it look like to connect with some people that maybe could help me on my journey? Or just build some friendships or connect with some people on where I'm at as a dad, as a, as a mom. Maybe your journey, you'd say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I grew up Catholic or Lutheran or whatever but I don't really know my faith or know the Bible. I'd like to grow deeper. And maybe that's the next step for you. And so our church is really about helping you take your next step. But even that's not success. Because we believe in investing in people who are maybe a step behind us. Learning how to have conversations and connect with people who maybe disagree with us politically or religiously or spiritually. We believe in forming true, genuine friendships with people who maybe are exploring their faith. So as a church, we create what we call exploring environments, what we call connecting environments, and what we call equipping environments. 
Now, if you were here last night, wow, did we have a connecting environment. 300 plus people hanging out in the tent, Kenny doing an incredible one-man show for an hour, and then Ryan Ventura trying to do some comedy for about 30 seconds, you know, and then, and then Ken Kington came up and was amazing for about an hour. It was hilarious. And that's what we do as a church. And it was an amazing connecting environment last night. So I want to talk about our church, and specifically our exploring service. Because that's what you're in right now. We want to give you the freedom to explore, to invite your friends, whether you're in the tent or watching online. The music we choose, the environments we choose, the topics we choose are to help you take your next step. The band's going to do this next song, which I love. It's by Dishwalla. And it really gives the spirit of what we're after. It says, tell me all your thoughts on God. You and I might have different thoughts. Your friends might have different thoughts. But when we create environments to be curious, environments where we can ask questions, amazing things happen in our heart. Let's watch or listen. Before I came to Horizon, I had a lot of thoughts, a lot of different thoughts about God. Some of them were, I don't know that I believe in God. Um, that has changed dramatically for me. Now I, um, throughout my time here, throughout my time with my pastor, throughout um, grappling with scripture and, you know, attending dad's groups, Bible studies, um, I, I have a firm feeling of who God is and what God wants me to be doing in this life. Following Christ and reading scripture, um, it is challenging, right, on a daily basis on, on how I run my business. Um, Matthew 19, uh, the, the first part of Matthew 19 talks about um, divorces, and I'm a divorce attorney. And I was a divorce attorney before my spiritual journey began. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, I put all my, my cards into, into that practice of law. And then I read this scripture that, um, where Jesus says, you know, what God has brought together, let no man tear apart. And um, uh, talks about, you know, the, the only justification for divorce being uh, um, sexual uh, fornication or immorality. And um, that caused me and continues to cause me some uh, significant angst and, um, you know, this juxtaposition between my personal relationship with God, which I feel very strong about, and Jesus' teaching of what I do for a living is, or what I participate in for a living is against the Word of God. Um, I have a unique opportunity in what I do to meet with people who are going, uh, who are having struggles in their relationships. I will tell you that I have been very successful in, in convincing a number of people who've come into my office looking to talk about dissolving their marriage um, into reconciling. Um, and I'm proud of that. And I, I look at that as, as one way that I can do some good and follow God's teaching and attempt to reconcile as many couples as, as I possibly can. Throughout that four-year period of time between when I, uh, you know, started here and started down this path until now, um, you know, I've, I've done a, a, a solid 360 degree turn and I, and I have a, um, I'm very happy to say I have a, a very, very close personal daily relationship with God. Um, it's the greatest gift I've ever been given. Man, that was challenging, wasn't it? 
It's amazing how everyone who comes in our doors has a different journey and different parts of God and the Bible will speak and challenge them. And we all know we've got broken stories and we've all got hurts and pains and, and we're all longing to find healing and find help. And so one of our values as a church is something simply called challenging Bible teaching. You know, whether you come to our exploring environments or our equipping environments or connecting environments, we believe that the Bible challenges you and I. It challenges us to grow, to love better, to serve better, to, to become a better version of ourselves. Even if our current version is pretty good. So that's why as a church we're trying to comfortably connect people to God through the Bible. Because we think this tool can just transform lives. We've seen it. And a community of growing Christ followers. So today I want to talk about why the Bible is so important to us and how it can be important in helping you on your journey, whatever your journey is. Whether you think the Bible really is God's word, or whether you think it's probably a whole bunch of fables, or whether you think it's maybe Aesop's fables with some good lessons. Why has this book been transforming history for over 2,000 years? What we're going to find today is that the main message of the Bible is different from religion. The main message of the Bible challenges you to, to replace your inner lining not just make external alterations. And maybe if you grew up in church, it was all about external, op- uh, external alterations. You know, alter the way you, you don't play cards here, alter the way you drink or don't drink there, alter your behavior here. And, and some were good things, and some were kind of like, where is this coming from type stuff. The main message of the Bible speaks to something far deeper. Not a bunch of external alterations to kind of tweak your life, but to replace your inner lining. To find a new connection to God in your soul that will certainly play out into your external behavior, but it starts from the inside out. So do that today. I want to tell you the the tale of two suits. And my hope is as we look at this tale, one, you're going to find that the message of Jesus is fundamentally different from religion. That the Bible is a tool that can help you connect with your own soul in a way that few other things can do. And three, you can diagnose, like maybe you're saying, I've got success, I've checked my my bucket list off, I should be incredibly happy and incredibly fulfilled. But there still seems like an inner lining, something on the inside that's missing. This will help diagnose that together. The tale of two suits. Let me start with the first suit. We're going to call it the empty suit. The empty suit. It's a guy named Simon, and the empty suit... There's a lot of areas in my life I've got an empty suit, maybe you too, but it's the idea that my external look has actually replaced my inner lining. That as important as a good reputation is, as important as looking good is, it's not just an expression of who I am, it's become who I am. How about you? We all look really good from a distance, don't we? Then you get to know us and you find out, wow, there's some, uh, there's some stuff maybe not as good up close as it was from a distance. And we build our identity on how we look, our reputation, how we come across. We protect it at all costs. It's not just an expression of who we are. It becomes a replacement for who we are. And we become unintentionally, while fulfilling all our goals, an empty suit. See, Jesus had this tailored approach of meeting with people, successful people, business people, leaders of leaders, and he would approach them one-on-one in very different techniques to try and help them discover what might be missing on the inside of their life. 
The disciples were so struck by this tailor-made approach that as they went out in the first century, they began to customize their approach to people as well. And last week we picked up with a guy named Philip, and that's exactly what Philip was doing. Remember? He was speaking to these giant crowds. We find him again speaking to a giant crowd in this big, fancy, very wealthy, very affluent city of Samaria. And he is doing amazing, thank you very much. This guy's got a resume that's growing. He's a rising star. Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, goes down to the city of Samaria. Multitudes, huge crowds gathered around. They're hearing him. They're seeing miracles he's doing. Wow, look at that. Wow, look at that. He's actually seeing people who are paralyzed walk, lame were healed, just like Jesus did. And there's this great joy in the city. The message of Jesus brought joy, not guilt. And in the middle of all the crowds responding to Philip, there's one guy that kind of stands out. And his name is Simon. And Simon is very, very wealthy, very, very affluent, very, very popular. He is a household name in this giant city. And nothing about Simon would make you think there's something going on inside him, that, that he needs an inner lining. He, he, he's like, he's the person you want to be. But we're going to find out he's an empty suit. And maybe the criteria of his empty suit will kind of make you and I think about areas that we might have an empty suit. Let me give you three of them. Here's the first one. I might have an empty suit if nothing I put on fits. I've tried success. I've tried approval. I've tried big titles and big cars and big houses. It just doesn't seem to fit. Uh, It doesn't seem to satisfy. Here's what happens. Simon. There's a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery. He's a magician. He previously practiced sorcery in the city, and he astonished the people of Samaria. And they, all the people in this giant affluent city, think Chicago, think New York, all of them claimed that he was someone. Man, this guy is someone. He's someone great. Well, what's better than that? You got the whole town saying you're someone great. To whom they all gave heed. We'll get to that word in a second. From the least in the city to the greatest in the city, they said, that man, Simon, is the power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. He's got popularity. He's got success. He's got people telling him who he is. Yeah, we're going to find out that he's missing something. He's longing for something. He's, he, he's, there's something he can't find that he's come to Philip to discover. How about you? Have you tried on everything and nothing quite fit? Maybe because it's all external. Maybe it's something on the inner lining that's missing in your life. The second thing we notice is that Simon thinks, like a lot of us do, that something else can give us our measurements. Right? Remember we said to ourselves, you know, if, I, if, I, if I just got married, then I'd be happy. Oh, all right, well, all right, if, I, if I just uh, got my, my, my doctorate degree, then, then I'll be happy. All right, well, if I just had a bigger territory, then I'd be happy. Well, if I just have kids, I'd be happy. Uh, if I could just get the kids out of the house, I'd be happy. Right? When you think something can define your soul and give you your inner measurements, you might have an empty suit. Look at all the things that giving him his measurements. Other people claiming he's great, claiming he's someone They say, that's the man. You want to be the man? Simon's the man. But see, nothing else externally can give you your soul's measurements. Your soul's too deep. 
You're too valuable to merely be defined by what you own, what you do, or who you impress. Your soul will not be satisfied. You'll end up feeling like an empty suit. Third aspect might be worth considering. You might be an empty suit if your sense of peace and joy and happiness is something you constantly have to keep paying for, keep earning, and keep chasing. It's a really interesting word here used about the difference about how the crowd react to Simon as they react to Philip. This man is the great power of God, and they heeded him. The word literally means they paid attention to him. Well, as a performer, as a magician, it's pretty nice when people pay attention to you. But here's the issue. When, when, when people pay attention to you, you got to keep paying. you got to keep upgrading, right? you got to keep doing the next steps so that people will keep paying attention to you. What's your next trick? You're only as good as the next thing you do and the next person you impress, right? So last week, oh, my goodness, you can make something appear before the air and impress everybody. Wow! The next week, seen that. What else you got? Right? And if you are defined by whether people are paying attention to you, it's nice. But you better upgrade. Better have something new. Three magic rings this week. Oh, it's Simon the Sorcerer. Look how he will astonish today. Three empty rings. People always say, are there holes in the rings? I'm like, yes, that's right here. There's the hole in the ring. And yet they look like they're apart, don't they? They look like they're apart. And yet he could astonish them by showing what looked like they were apart were actually together. And what looked like one was actually three. And then he could show them they couldn't even believe their eyes because it looks like they're together, doesn't it? Your eyes tell you it's together. And yet, watch this, they melt right through each other. And then you got two left. And they melt right through each other. And the crowd was astonished. The crowd was amazed. How did Simon do it? And then he, he could astonish their ears. Listen, do you hear metal striking metal? Of course you do. Metal striking metal. How'd that happen? They're all connected. You can spin on it. How is this going on? And it looked like one ring, two rings, three rings, but it's actually, oh, well, maybe it's Mickey Mouse. It's hard to say. He would continually astonish them, and yet... Behind all of his fame, all of his wealth, all of his good fortune, he always knew he was only as good as his next trick. He was only as valuable as he could keep paying attention. I read the most honest description of this this summer from Chris Martin from Coldplay. Touring the world, known as a pop star... And then COVID hit. And here's what he writes. Last year was an eye-opener. I was like, who am I without Wembley Stadium saying, you're awesome? I'm trying in my life right now to not attach too much to being a pop star. I'm trying not to get my self-worth from external validation. I was talking to a couple about a year and a half ago. He's got a resume that would, you'd die for. 
It is the most enviable resume I'd ever seen. And I've seen a lot of you know, great, successful people over my career. And he was doing very well for himself. And as they were, he and his wife were, were sharing with me some challenges going on in their relationship. He's like, they must have a perfect marriage. Yeah, we all look good from a distance. He said, you know, it's weird. I find myself at parties. And if people don't know me or don't know what I do or don't know my, my kind of career path, I find myself dropping that into the conversation. Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a CEO of blah, blah, blah. Actually, I'm a CFO of blah, blah, blah. Actually, our sales last quarter were. It's just like, why am I doing that? Why am I dropping that into the party? I've been learning how to fly, and there's an old joke that says, how do you find the pilots at a party? And don't worry, they'll tell you. You know, I've done that. Get around other pastors, and suddenly you start talking about what's going on at your church and impressive numbers, whatever. And it's like, why do you need to do that except that somehow your worth is determined by who likes you, what numbers you hit, what numbers you're going to make, how much is in your savings account, how much you're, you're weighing. There's some number you've used to define yourself. But I'm telling you, your soul is so much deeper than some external alteration number. We long for something else. And I want to propose to you that a lot of ways there's an empty suit in us and we long for a bespoke suit. The idea that when we look into our lives that, hey, the externals still matter. How we behave, our reputation, how we come across, how we look, that matters. But we want our external look our reputation, how we come across. We want that to be an expression of who we are, not a replacement for who we are. I like it when people like me, but I'm somebody if they don't. I like it when things are going well, but I'm somebody if they aren't. In fact, I don't know if you ever heard of a bespoke suit. We use the term now to mean custom-made, a bespoke set of furniture. But the term a bespoke suit means a tailor-made, a custom, inside-out-made suit. And actually, the term came from back in the days when you had a tailor. You would come and pick out some material. Not the shirt, not the pants, the actual material. And the tailor would take a piece of chalk, and he would write when you chose the, the stack of material you wanted, bespoken for. And so now the material is bespoken for, and it would then be tailor-made to your measurements from the inside out. What you were wearing, what you were putting on, was crafted for you, because you were bespoken for. The God of the universe said he made you, he tailored your soul, and it is so deep, it cannot be satisfied by temporal things. You have been bespoken for. And until you find the one who made you to sign on you, you're going to do a lot of amazing things. It's going to be great. But there's going to be this inner empty suit feeling that's longing for more. So we pick up on Philip. And the amazing thing about Philip is Philip also has amazing crowds. He's got amazing reactions. He's very, very famous. He's very, very popular. He's a household name. And he's, he's speaking in this incredibly large city. He's made it in Chicago. He's made it in New York. Here he is in the city of Samaria, this very wealthy city that goes back for centuries of wealth. And here he's able to both prioritize the crowds, but also... A person. One person is just as important to him as the crowd. 
He could wander off like we saw last week to a desert and meet somebody he's never met, an Ethiopian eunuch, and prioritize one person as much as the crowd. He doesn't live for the crowd. He's not defined by the crowd. And because of that, because he's living from the inside out, he can prioritize the crowd or the individual. There's been incredible archaeological finds on this place called Samaria. Doesn't look like a lot today, but it was a major metropolis of, of marketplaces and giant homes and, and giant farms. And this was a very, very wealthy place. In fact, there's a section of, of terraced vineyards that are all over the section there. I mean, this was the place to make it. And yet, Simon wasn't defined by all of that. He was able to prioritize this Simon the Sorcerer and go and have a conversation with him. And what Simon noted about him is the second thing you see about a bespoke suit, that you can prioritize individual people, not just the crowds, is that, is that when, when your external is an expression of your internal, you know your inner measurements. You know whose you are. You know who you're bespoken for. You know your value. You like people liking you, but you know even if they don't, you know the one that really matters likes you. It says that Philip, as he was speaking, he would preach Christ to them. What does that mean, preach Christ to them? He basically said, the tailor of your soul is God. And God saw that you were longing or groping for meaning. So God came from heaven to earth through Jesus to show you your measurements. Let me tell you how much you're worth. God came to earth himself and died for you because you are that valuable. When you had a career that was going well or a career that was not going well. When you looked beautiful and when you got old. When your hips worked and your hips have been replaced. When you had a big title and a big car and when you lost your job. Preaching Christ means finding your identity from the one who forgave you and made you. That you can be bespoken for. And here's what's just fascinating to me. Then, remember that word I told you that they paid attention to Philip? It's a different word used uh, uh, to Simon. Different word used to Philip. Though they paid attention to Simon, it says they believed Philip. Not just believed the message. They believed him. They believed that what he was saying and what he was doing was being expressed from who he truly was. And isn't that what we all want? We want people to know our kids to know, our spouses to know, our, our community to know. Yes, there's times you don't have to know all of our dirty laundry. But in general, the way we come across, the reality of our struggles, how we share our real life, people sense, they believe, not just pay attention, they believe that we are the expression of who we are, that our rep- reputation isn't a put-on. It's not just something we polish and manage. It's who we are. And then you can admit when you don't live up your expectation, when you struggle when you fail and when your marriage is having trouble and when your kids are disobeying, you don't get crushed by any of those things. You can be more real. Don't you want people to believe who you are? I was listening to a story of a guy who uh, went to Hollywood to be a screenwriter and he just knew if he could write the big next great big screenplay, he'd do well. And, and he was writing and doing pretty well uh, in the fact that he was making some money, but it wasn't what he hoped for. Then he decided, well, his dreams weren't coming true, so he decided to become a stage designer for movie sets. 
and he did an amazing job. In fact, he, he really hit all of his goals and eventually went beyond his wildest dreams. But he just wasn't satisfied. It's like, how can I not be satisfied? Literally, this is, this is the list. He tried everything. He tried relationships, relationships with men, relationships with women. He tried, uh, he tried you know, more and more stuff and more and more upgrades. And he wanders into this church. And here's somebody talk about Jesus, but not like religious alterations to your life, but a God who could give you worth from the inside out. And he said, I didn't have any interest in spirituality, but I, something in that began to change me. The idea that my inner lining, my inner soul could be replaced with some value that came from God. So I realized I was no longer defined by who I was attracted to. I was no longer defined by whether I was in or out of a relationship or who that relationship was with. I wasn't defined by my career goals or success or lack thereof. He said, here's what was amazing to me. I started to enjoy my current job more. Like I I fell in love with my current job. He said, and you know why? I didn't need my job to define me anymore. My job could be an expression of who I was. It brought incredible meaning and purpose in my life. See, it looks a hundred ways, but when, when the Bible challenges you, remember I said the main message of the Bible? That's why we're reading the Bible today. That's why we're letting it challenge us. We're letting it push on us a bit. Man, could I have an empty suit? Am I defining myself in ways that don't come from the inside out? The main message of the Bible is that. It's that God wants to replace your inner lining, not just make external alterations. So here's my challenge to you. So we've talked a little bit about Simon and Philip today. Are there areas you need to suit up? Pick an area you need to suit up. Maybe you've found your identity in what people say or don't say, and you've just been worn out keeping up your reputation, trying to pay attention, come up with a new trick, and make sure everybody knows what's going on. Pay, you keep paying and paying and paying so people pay attention. Yeah, man, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to switch suits. I'm ready to get something from the inside out. That's exactly what happens. Because... Philip is doing these amazing things. He's talking to Simon now, and Simon wanders over, and I think there's two questions to ask yourself to figure out where you need to suit up. And here's the first question that Philip challenges, really challenges Simon with. See, now the apostles were at Jerusalem. They heard that Samaria had received the word of God. So they sent Peter and John to join them. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the hands, the Holy Spirit was given... Man, how'd you do that? What's going on there? He said, give me this power. And he offered him money for it. So that I too can do this. So, here's what's amazing. He didn't see, well, look at all these people who are, you know, really connecting with God. What he really saw is a brand new trick. He says, oh, look, people are discovering God's, God's work in their life. Man, I want some of that. What does he, re- does he want God or does he want power? He wants power. He wants something new to mesmerize the crowd. I want to use God to get power. I don't just want God. He's still got an empty suit. He's still hoping, right, that he can use God to kind of alter his life, to bring something amazing to the crowd. Yes, if I had this one new trick, that little fire always amazes people, right? But look what he's doing because it's exactly what you and I do. We say we want God. We might call ourselves a Christian or not call ourselves a Christian. 
but we really want to use God to get something. Fill in the blank for your something. To get power? Yeah, if God can help me get more power, I'll take it. More obedient kids? Yeah, God, I'm praying, just fix my kids! Because I define myself by whether or not my kids behave. Wow, that's kind of a tough thing to do. You don't want to define yourself by how your kids behave. Because you're either going to talk them into being fake all the time or, or you're going to drive yourself crazy. God, I, got, I, I want to use you, God, if, if you'll give me comfortable circumstances. It might be time to suit up. If you're just trying to use God, not to give you your inner measurements, but just as a way to get some new upgrade so people will pay attention. Secondly, Having offered money, and by the way, this was very common in that day, so I don't want to beat up on Simon too bad, because in that day, you would pay another magician for their tricks. So he was doing something that's very normal. But look at how Peter, Philip rather, challenges him. I need to suit up by looking at my inner lining and my motivation. Look how he challenges Simon. Simon, you keep trying to upgrade your externals. Let's look at the inside. Look what he says. But Peter said, oh, it was Peter. Sorry, I forgot to switch to Peter. Your money, man, what a terrible job I'm doing at this sermon. I messed up the word. I'm going to have to, no, see, isn't that what happens? We make a mistake. We got to beat ourselves over a mistake. This is what happens when you suddenly become a perfectionist is you don't have the freedom to make mistakes. That's this idea here. It's the expression of who you are. Peter says, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God, this free gift of God, this, this generosity of God could be purchased with money. No, you've, you've totally missed it. You've totally missed what the whole message is about. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. Why? Because your inner lining is broken. Your heart is not right. Your inner lining, that's what we're trying to fix here. Pray that God perhaps can sense the thought of your heart, you're trying to use him to get more power, and you can be forgiven. God wants to forgive you. For I see that you have been poisoned by bitterness. What a weird thing to say. Poisoned by bitterness? How does that relate to anything? Ooh, because if you define yourself from the outside in and you find someone who has more of whatever that is than you do, what happens? You get jealous. Look at how their kids obey. Oh my goodness, look how comfortable their life is. Oh my goodness, look how quickly their their career path took off. You get poisoned by bitterness. You can't celebrate with other people and cheer other people. You beat others up and beat yourself up. Well, it must be nice to have parents like they did, or it must be nice to have gone to that school. It must be nice to have people. You get poisoned by bitterness because everything becomes a game and everything becomes a competition of what you don't have and what they do. So pick one area to suit up. Ask yourself, what's my inner motivation? Why do I do what I do? See, the reason we believe so deeply in this as a church, challenging Bible teaching at our exploring service, challenging Bible teaching in our connecting environments, challenging Bible teaching in our equipping environments. Your kids have been going through the entire Bible, if you have kids in elementary for the last eight weeks. We've summarized the entire Bible for them because something powerful happens when you come face-to-face with the Bible. It moves us. It transforms us. It 
It calls us to something new. There's a man named Tyndale in 1500. And he wanted to get the Bible in people's hands. But the forces that be at the time did not want anyone to have the Bible. It was too dangerous for people to read the Bible. In fact, there were few people in England. Rather than teaching the Bible out of Latin, nobody had a copy of it and few could read it, they began to teach their kids just the Lord's Prayer in English. 1510. They were burned at the stake. Well, Tyndale's passionate about this. He says, I've got to get the Bible in English in people's hands. He hides out at a printer's house where he is furiously copying and and translating and putting it into place so this thing can trans people's lives. They can find the purpose of knowing the tailor of their soul. However, the printer he's working for and hiding out at got a little tipsy at the pub one night. And as he's tipsy at the pub, he says, yeah, I got a guy printing the Bible in my place. The next day, the whole place gets raided by the authorities. Tyndale escapes with his life and grabs a few copies of the New Testament that he had found. He escapes off and he, he begins to continue the copying process and he mails, not mails, but he sends copies of the New Testament all through England hidden in, in cotton balls, cotton bale. And the Bible begins to flow all through England and it begins to transform hearts and transform minds. In fact, the, the forces that be at the time, they actually bought up all the copies and had a book burning to try and burn them all, but they just kept getting copied and just kept getting spread because people found incredible meaning and purpose. They said, when I look at the Bible and I see myself in view of God, I see something amazing. Myself forgiven. Myself valuable for who I am, not what I do. And the Bible that's been beaten and burnt and chased and excommunicated and, and, and made illegal all through history. Why do you think people are so worried about this book? If it doesn't mean anything. Because it changes lives and brings inner worth. So I'm going to invite the band to come up and do a song you've probably heard before. But this song I want you to hear through the lens of Peter's challenge to Simon. He said, Simon, I want you to look in the mirror. And I want you to see, are you defining yourself by who you are and whose you are or by what you do and who you can impress? And are you caught in the endless cycle of paying and paying and paying so people will pay attention? Or are you ready for something new? Are you ready to know that you are loved and your value flows from the inside out? Not what your culture says, not what your spouse says, not what your kids do, not what your parents' aspirations were. It's time to look in the mirror. And God cannot wait to give you forgiveness and peace. Let's listen together. Well, maybe today's the day you want to make a change and you want to start living from the inside out, not the outside in. Maybe you want to respond to God just in all joy, like the experience of Samaria. Ask God for that. If it helps, you can close your eyes. Just say something like this, God. I want you to give me my measurements. I want you to replace my lining. I want to make a change. Forgive me for thinking my valuable soul could be defined by temporal things forgive me for that and fill me up with your worth 
I want to be bespoken for. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll see you next week.